I'd like for you to follow me in Scripture today. If you've got your Bible or electronics, I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. That's where this series is coming from. But also, I want you to, to put a finger, have a way to get over to 1 John chapter 4. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 John chapter 4. I want to give you the destination, and then I want to ask you if you'll follow me on this biblical search for the title of the message today, which is Love on Fire. So I want to ask you if you'll follow me down this path where if you go there, I, I need to warn you, God might set your heart on fire. Right. And when he does, he's going to do it with his love. And so I want to read some of the, the scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. We've been reading the whole chapter today. I'm just going to read a, a couple of verses. And I want us to look at this thing that without love, we are nothing. Without love, we are nothing. That's where we're going to start. Without love, we're nothing. Listen to what it says. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, ooh, that's some kind of faith. He says, but if you do not have love, then I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, we don't have very many martyrs in the American church, okay? But it says if you were to give your body, surrender it even to be burned, but you do not have love, it profits me nothing. So if... I can do all those things, and yet I don't have love, then I'm nothing. What I want to do is try to figure out, well, then what is this thing called love? Maybe I don't, maybe I don't understand it. Maybe I don't know how to define it, and maybe I don't know how to live in it and through it. So what is love? And so I've been on this journey where I'm going back, and I'm looking at what love looked like before the world crashed. Do you know what I mean? Before world, the world fell into to sin, what does love look like when it's, when it's unstained, it's uncorrupted, it's, it's pure love? And rather than go to Genesis to look at that, we actually get a better picture if we go to 1 John chapter 4. What does love look like before sin came in and messed everything up? So in 1 John chapter 4, I want to take you to verse 16, and then we're going to back up in the chapter. So, beginning in verse 16, here's what it says. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Do you know how important that is in your life? Just in case you missed it, I'm going to read it one more time. We have come to know and have believed. That means I trust. We've come to trust the love which God has for us. God is love. That's a major point for today. Don't, don't miss it. Look at somebody and say, God is love. Let's read it one more time. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So God is love. If we move up in the chapter, it says it in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is 
love. In fact, it says in verse 7, if you back on up, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Hmm. So God is love. Now, if I were to tell you that I need you to meet a person out in the cafe after the service is over, and I tell you they have brown eyes, you say, okay, that's a characteristic of a person that I'm looking for. Brown eyes. Some of you laugh because you're like, that ain't much to go on. Right? You see, brown eyes doesn't tell you anything about how tall they are. doesn't tell you if they're male or female. doesn't tell you anything about their strength. It doesn't tell you anything about their intelligence. It just tells you one thing about them. They have brown eyes. What if I tell you there's a person waiting out in the cafe and that person is kind? Kind. And I'd like for you to meet them because I want you to have met a kind person. Now, you'd probably walk out into that cafe and you'd go, okay, I don't want to get my hopes up too much. Because we all know humans, right? You know a person that's kind, but on any given day, right? I mean, if you just let the intensity of something build for a little bit, and even a kind person, you know, let things begin to frustrate a, a kind person, that in that moment of weakness, you can find something Oh, it ain't kind. Right? So if I tell you that a person is kind, you probably don't get your hopes up too much that every aspect of their life is kind. It's just that, in general, they're kind. Can I tell you that when Scripture says that God is love, that is not just one of many characteristics. That's the essence of who God is. Everything else flows out of this thing that he has loved. It's not like he's love and then he's wrathful or judgmental. No, everything has to find its context in this. And I didn't make it up. I showed it to you and I showed it to you twice. God is love. That means his very essence is love. Everything he does is going to be what? Every way he responds will be in what? When he creates, he creates in because God is? Yeah, do that one more time. Look at your neighbor again. They done forgot. Tell them God is love. Chris Eifert posted something this week on Facebook, if you're friends with him, and it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I just loved it. I didn't, I didn't know what to do, so I didn't respond. I think Pastor, Pastor D sent him uh, one of them GIF things, you know, or this guy that stands up and goes, because <laughs> it was that good. It was that good. Here was his opening line. He said, sin was never able to destroy love. God is love. And yes, sin entered the world. But sin couldn't destroy love. Because the love of God is more powerful than sin. If not, sin would have won the day. And so he said, sin was never able to destroy love. Why? Because God is love. Did it distort it in our view? Yes. It distorted it. It contaminated it. It corrupted it. That's why many of you have emailed or texted me and said, i got to go back and rethink this thing called love. I even had somebody say, man, if you'd only defined love for me back in elementary school, I would have been a lot better off. It begins to call everything into to question as to, to what is love because it's been, and from our point of view, it's been distorted. 
It's been corrupted by this thing called sin. It's hard for us to know what it looks like. That's why I said I wanted to go back before the world crashed and ask what did it look like then. And it looks like God. Because God is love. So then, what is a definition of love? This is my current working definition. You may want to write this down. Because it's probably not what you think of when you think of love. This ain't about loving ice cream and uh, you know, loving a movie or loving a team. That's a different kind of love. This is the, the biblical kind of love that we see. The Bible calls it an agape kind of love. It is love seeks the highest good in another. I want you to write that down if you think you're going to forget it. If you've got a good memory, fine. If not, I guess you can look it up on Facebook or whatever. See it again. Love seeks the highest good in another. That's what God did when He sent His Son to die on the cross. In Romans, this is what it says. When we were, it says, enemies of God, working against Him, when we were in the midst of our sin, here's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. What was God up to? What was He doing in Jesus? I'll tell you, He was actually doing something more than just forgiving our sins. He had to do that because that leaves us with this, this guilty conscience. It leaves us where we're separated from God because, because we turn. What does He do? He forgives us so that He might reconcile us. Do you realize that you can try your best to get all the sin out of your life and if you're successful in doing it, you don't necessarily still end up with love. I need you to go down that road because some of you will quit working if you go down that road. You can, you can rid yourself of, of all sin in your life. I know some of you are like, what did he just say? You can rid yourself of all sin and you'll be sinless. That don't mean you'll love. It doesn't mean you'll love. So what did God do? He had higher aims. It was, I'm going to forgive them of their sin. I'll put it as far as the east is from the west. Why? Because the ultimate goal was, he said, I want a relationship. I want you to be reconciled with me. I want to restore you to what it was like before the world crashed and fell into sin. That is the hope of Jesus Christ that we live in. That He would restore us back to a relationship that was lost because of sin. And then when he does that, we get this little picture of Jesus. Y'all remember Jesus? He's being baptized. If you don't know the story, Jesus is being baptized and he comes up out of the water. And this dove lights on his shoulder. And the voice of God comes down like most of us want to hear him. <laughs> you know, we, we don't want that still, small voice that sounds like our conscience. We want God speak from the clouds. Well, God speaks from the clouds, it seems. And he says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now notice he didn't just say, this is my son. Mm -mm. No, what did he say? This is my beloved son. Because for a God who is love, he naturally wants to have a relationship with people based on him loving them. And so we see it in Jesus. And most of us look at that and say, yeah, I know God the Father loved Jesus. 
But what about me? What, what does Scripture have to, to say about me? If you go back just to 1 John and you looked, you'll find something. It's quite odd. As I was reading it, I kept picking up on it. No less than six times in 1 John, he responds or he calls the reader, Beloved. No less than six times in 1 John does he call the believer the beloved. And look at verse 16 again, that one that I hung out on a bit. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for who? For us. See, this thing don't become real until you realize that you're the beloved. Yeah? Do you know that? Do you know it? Can you, can you say, yes, I know that I'm the beloved? You say, I, I don't know, man. I've done so much. I know you have. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So that you could be called the beloved. Do you know that you're the beloved? You see, that's your essence. That's who you are. If His essence is God is love, then your essence ought to start with, I am the beloved. When somebody says, excuse me, who are you? You ought to say, I'm the beloved of God. That's how you ought to start. The Marines do that. I saw Billy. Billy's in here. Billy was a Marine. If you were in the Army or the Air Force or the Navy, you ask them and they say, I was in the Air Force. I was in the Army. I was in the, the Navy. But just ask a Marine. What do they say? What do they say, Billy? They say, I am a Marine. It's the only branch that does that. I am a Marine. Now, Billy, the last thing I need to do is get a bunch of Marines mad at me, okay? <laughs> but your identity needs to be wrapped up in this notion that I am the beloved of God. Because based on 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't have that, you don't have nothing. Can I say that again? You don't even have a starting point until your essence, your identity is wrapped up in the fact that you are the beloved of God. It is this essential truth. So God is what? Love. And you are the what? Y'all doing good. I know y'all a smart crowd. I knew this was going to go over well. <laughs> and then you need to know this. You're the beloved and there ain't nothing you can do about it. You hear me? You're the beloved. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. There's nothing that anyone else can do about it. It's just the way that it is because God loves you. Nobody else can get in the way of that. In uh, for, uh, Romans, let's go over there. It's worth going over. In Romans chapter 8. Verse 38, if you're looking for something that might get in the way of the love that God has for us, look at verse 38 of Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, are you out of breath, we're still going, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. I think if I was a lawyer, I'd just rest my case right there. i say, I'm done. I'd have made my case. There is nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And so you'll hear me talk about sometimes you need to get a place and it needs to be alone. 
And you don't need any worship music going. And you don't need anybody around you. All you need is some place to sit and be in the presence of God. And let Him love you. Now, I know that there are some people that when they hear that, they say, Kevin, that sounds awful selfish and self-centered. That sounds like this American version of Christianity that says, God's all about me. Well, He is. And those who realize it become all about Him. And those that don't miss the point. Because without love, we ain't nothing. So you got to have time to sit. And you got to have time to let God love you. And if you've never done it before, one minute can feel like an hour, can it? We had a small group that worked on it. If you've never done it before, one minute will seem like eternity. Your mind will go a thousand places because everything in hell wants to keep you away from the knowledge that you are loved by God. And so I challenge you to sit and let God love you. Why? Not because it's selfish. Not because it's self-centered. If you sit, I do it on my back porch. I was about to say, if you sit on your back porch, I don't know if you have one, but that's where I love to do it. I sit on my back porch. Let God love me. That doesn't come from a self-centered place. You know where it comes from? It comes from poverty. I sit on my back porch out of poverty. Knowing that I'm nothing without love. Many of us are wealthy. But it's fool's wealth. It's fool's wealth. It ain't built on nothing. I know my grammar is atrocious today, but I'm trying to make a point. It's not built on anything. That's why when the storms come, Everything crashes because it's not built on a rock. It's built on sand. And what can be shaken will be shaken. And so I'll tell you that sitting and letting God love you does not come from a self-centered place. It comes from a person who is wise enough to know that without God they are nothing. And so they sit and let God love because that's the only place I believe that we can discover what real love is. It's the only place that I can understand it. And then I'm better equipped to go out and live it in every corner of my world. You see, we have told Christians you need to go out and you need to evangelize. But it's one of the least done things in all of the Christian life. Do you know why it is the least done of all things in the Christian life? I would suggest to you it's because... It is not built on love. It's built out of duty. And people will evangelize out of duty because they feel like it's another box that they have to check off. But if you will sit somewhere until God pours out His love on you and you embrace the love of God, nobody can keep you quiet about that. Nobody can keep you quiet about that. When I remember, I'm going to call him out, Jonathan Brunette, when he was getting in touch with the love of God, we were at Fishing Chicks, and he was preaching. He hadn't been a believer long enough to know any verses in Scripture. But he was preaching from Scripture because it says the Holy Spirit would tell you all things. And so he was literally almost quoting Scripture verbatim. And he didn't know it. And I'm sitting there putting the Scripture behind. I'm like, this is absolutely amazing. And he kept getting louder and louder. 
and louder. He didn't know, but he was so excited about what God was doing that he was just talking loud. And this lady got up to leave and she threw a trash away and she went over to Jonathan and she said, young man, you keep it up. You're doing a good thing. <laughs> you see, that day, Jonathan preached in Fish and Chicks. And nobody had to tell him that he was supposed to because it was the thing that was flowing up from his life. He couldn't help but do it. And that's when the love of God begins to go into all of these places. And so I'm back to this thing that if God is love and I am the one who is loved by God, then maybe we miss the point. Maybe the point is love. I know that sounds simple. But it, it, it's not in the sense of, it's almost like a, uh, an astronaut singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Does that make sense? It's like an astronaut singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. I mean, yeah, he can sing it, and that's true. The star is twinkling. But ask him about a star, and he can blow your mind. That's the way it is with the love of God. We can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But the depth at which you will get it when you get alone with the love of God will blow everybody else's minds. They're like, I don't know about them, but I knew about God, but I believe this individual knows God, like spends time with him. So I'm thinking maybe we missed the point that we made a lot of stuff that, that what we have been after is fool's gold. And what God is doing in us is establishing the, the real thing. The, the real goal, which is love. So if you go back over to 1 Corinthians 13, wow, maybe love is the point. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong, clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries, know all knowledge, have all faith, don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned and I do not have love, it profits me nothing. You know, there's a place in Scripture over in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. It says, there are people who will meet God. And they will say, God, we have done these miracles. We have, we have uh, cast out demons. And, and we have done these great signs and wonders and miracles and healed the sick. And it says that God will look at them and he'll go, I don't know you. I, I, don't, I don't know you. How is it that someone can move in that kind of power? And God would look at them and he says, I don't know you. Maybe it's because they were operating off of a system other than love. Maybe it was somebody who wanted to be important in the kingdom of God and thought, if I just do this, I'll be important. Maybe somebody said, if I can do some miracles, maybe that'll confirm that there really is a God. No, you got to get that settled. Before you start moving in the gifts. Maybe he doesn't know them because God is love. And when he looks at something that's not love, he goes, I don't know what that is. But that ain't me. So it is possible, I believe, for revival to break out, actually. I actually think it's possible for revival to break out and signs and wonders to be done. And many of those things will happen because the people just simply have faith. Because faith pleases God. And it's hard for Him to deny. And so things happen. But Scripture says that faith is supposed to work itself in love. 
So I think that there are times where revivals could break out. And the reason that they don't last is because the revival wasn't the point. Oh, that was better than I'm going to get credit for. That's better than I'm going to get credit for right there. There are a lot of people who are coming to church and they are hungry. And you know what they're hungry for? They're hungry for revival. They're hungry for the things that 1 Corinthians 13 said. You can have those things, but if you don't have love, you're still going to have nothing. (laughs) You know what the revival is? The revival is a group of people who have hung out and realized that God is love. They're the beloved of God. And then they move according to love. Everything else misses the point. (laughs) Love is that thing that passes into eternity. I've been trying to figure out what goes when I die. Because, you know, they told me growing up that there ain't no U-Hauls behind hearses. (laughs) I done heard a thousand messages about that. I'm thoroughly convinced that there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. I believe that. But it does cause me to wonder, God, what can I take with me? Because it says I'm supposed to store up treasure in heaven. So I'm sitting there trying to think, I'd like to have something go with me. Now my house can't go, my bank account can't go, my job can't go, all my toys can't go. None of that stuff can go. God, what is it that'll go? You ought to know by now. Love. That's what goes. If you want to know what storing up your treasure in heaven looks like, your job is fool's gold. Your house is fool's gold. Your car is fool's gold. You can have all those things, but they don't matter much. I mean, they're fun, but they don't matter much. And they won't go with you there. The only thing that goes is love. And that's why it says, where your treasure is, that your heart will be. You see, if your treasure is God, then you will have to encounter a God who is love. And if he is your treasure, then your heart will lead you into everything that is love. There are times that as people in his churches, our love grows cold. And when our love grows cold, our heart grows cold. Any of you ever experienced that? We, we used to call it backsliding. You know, it was when you didn't feel like going to church that one Sunday. And it turned into five and a half years. And you're like, how did that happen? And then all of a sudden, you start blaming everybody else because they didn't call you, right? It was their fault. It was the church's fault because they didn't call me. Yep. I always, I've never had the guts to do it. I've got a little sense of directness about me lately. I don't know what it is. So this might happen, but the next person who tells me that, I'm going to be like, hey, before you left, how many people did you call that you didn't see at church on Sunday? Because that's how many people I hope calls you. Oh, I might say that just one more time. When you're sitting at home wondering who called you, go and count up the number of people that you called that you saw missing at church. And I hope that's how many call you. You may need to do something about that. You may need to realize that it's bigger than that. And so our hearts get cold. And it can happen as an individual and it can happen as a church. When a church's heart grows cold, they stop caring about people. They stop caring about the world. All they care about is themselves. And yet they pursue God and they can't find Him. And you know why you can't find Him? Because the love's gone. 
It happens in relationships too, right? You, you stop seeing the good. You stop seeing the value. You stop digging for the gems, the gold, and you start finding dirt, and you can't figure out why the love grows cold. It happens with God too. That's why we have to sit alone with God. That's why we have to let Him love us so that we're constantly stirred. I believe that there are some who are here today and you would say, my heart has grown cold. I pray it never happens that God would look at our church and He would say, their heart's cold. They stopped loving me. They stopped loving other people. And their heart grew cold. And so what has to happen is the, the Spirit of God has to, to breathe on that church again. The Holy Spirit has to breathe on that person who has gotten cold, who has lost love for God and for others. You need the Holy Spirit to breathe on you. By the way, ember, the name is about igniting a community. With what? What? Oh, y'all got ahead of me. But you're right. The whole purpose of Ember, look it up, is to ignite a community. With what, you ask? With the love of God. So let me ask you, do you want more of God's love? Because without it, you're bankrupt. <laughs> without it, you don't have anything else. Do you, do you want more love? You see, when you fall in love, love can be like a fire, right? Which brings me to my final point. I hate to make this the final point. You Normally in a you know, good sermon presentation, which this is not one, you, you would, you'd put this closer to the front, okay? But you know, I'm the life person I like to say the best to last. So I've saved this for you. When you fall in love, it feels like your heart's on fire, doesn't it? You ever felt it? It's like, whoo! And, and you don't know what to do. It makes you a little bit crazy inside. It's all you can think about. You're like, I'm, I just, I'm in love. And so love is a, is a fire. In fact, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Think about that for just a minute. Our God is a consuming fire. What in the world does that mean? You see, a lot of people don't know how to reconcile God is love and God is consuming fire. You see, they've been taught consuming fire apart from God is love, and now they have this thing messed up. So I want to see if I can bring some clarity for that as our final point today. God is consuming fire. What does that mean? It means that anything that is not love, the love of God is coming after it. He is coming after it. And He is a consuming fire. And He intends to burn it up. Not you, but it. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 it says there's a day when all the things of our life are going to be put under this consuming fire. And the wood and the hay and the stubble, those things are going to burn up. And a lot of people get scared about that. But I was meditating on it one day and I'm like, that'll be the best thing that's ever happened to me. That'll be the best thing that's ever happened to me. It'll be the best thing that's ever happened to you. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that He is the one that saved you. You become a child of God. Then you're going to go to heaven. And then all of our works are going to be put before this judgment of God. who He judges in love. So you can't separate love from judgment. And so when His love looks at all of our life, all the stuff not built on love, 
it's gone. And I'm glad it will be. And you should be too. You'll be like, that'll be the most beautiful, most loving thing that God could do for me. It's to consume the stuff that is not love. Do you see His love in action right there? It'll be the most loving thing He can do. It's something that we've all been afraid of. Oh, now here's the danger. It's when the fire comes if there ain't nothing left. That's what you need to be afraid of. If the fire comes and there's nothing left. But they ain't, there's no need for that. You just believe that Jesus is who he said that he is. You receive the, the love of God and then that fire comes. This guy, St. John of the Cross, he said this. He said that, that God is working in us and it's like a, a campfire. Some of you have heard it. I'm going to tell it again. Be patient with me. You know, when you light a campfire and it starts to burn, one of the first things that burns out of that wood is the moisture that's in the wood, right? Smokes a lot at the beginning. It cracks and it pops. It's, it stuff's burning away. But now you give that fire over till about midnight, one or two o'clock in the morning, and you go look at it, and you realize that everything's been burned down, right? And the only thing you have left, don't miss the point here, okay? It's too beautiful. It's just a bunch of ember. You ever looked at a fire like that? They, there's nothing left. All the wood's been burned. You're like, what was that? It's all the stuff that is not fire. It's all the stuff that is not heat. It's everything that the fire can consume. It will consume. Anything that is not of love is consumable. It will be burned. But anything that is love remains. Of faith, hope, and love. These three, the greatest of these is love. Why? Because it will always remain. It is that thing when the fire is burned up and you look at it and all you see are these superheated coals, these embers, if you will. You say, what happened to this person? You say, well, God did the most loving thing. He burned up everything that wasn't like him. That's the point. That's what God is doing in your life. He's burning up everything that is not like Him. Because if it is not like Him, it is not rooted in love and you don't need it or need to want it. And He is leaving us with this thing that is perfect. That's why He can say in John chapter 15 that we abide, we dwell, we live in what? The love of God for the Son and the Son for us which puts us back in contact with the Father and we're in with Him. And the only thing that remains is love. 